scriptures with you, please go with me to the book of Revelation. I'm not going to be before you uh, much longer than that. Amen. My intro was pretty long. Book of Revelation. Amen. And I'm going to read one verse, but this one verse relates to chapter 2, verse 7. That's the one I'm going to read. But it's also found in verse 11, verse 17, verse 29. Then, if you look at chapter number 3 and go to verse 6, 13, and 22, you'll find the same words written. So I only need to read it once, but know that it relates to all of those times. You with me? Amen. So it says in the book of Revelation, chapter number 2, verse number 7, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that same admonition is found in verses 11, 17, and 29 of 2, and in 6, 13, and 22 of chapter 3. And so our subject this morning is simply this. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Many years ago, most of you are probably familiar with the very popular Verizon uh, commercial promotion for their phone. You know, back in the day before we had 5G, we would oftentimes do what? Drop. Calls would drop all the time. And even though you fuss about AT&T now, if you really think back to our evolution in cell phones, our reception today is far better than it ever was. Because back when they made that commercial, we would drop all the time. And so we would always be on our phones doing what? Can you hear me now? And so God is telling us in 2022, he wants to know, can you hear him now? You see, the first thing that God has done in this transition for us as the church universal is, he allowed a worldwide pandemic. Amen. A plague came upon the nation and upon the entire world. And so some churches continued on. Some closed the doors. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget it because it was Friday the 13th that I called our leadership together and told them that we were going to go virtual with our services all the exclusively because as the Lord had had it, we had started doing streaming our services in January. Along with being in-house. So God was on point. So, uh, of course, many were upset, especially the money people, because the first thing they said, well, Pastor, what about the money? Amen. We're not a wealthy church. We, we, we need you to give. And so they were all upset about that, but I explained to them that I have a responsibility and my responsibility is to shepherd this flock. And as a shepherd of this flock, the Lord has led me to do this because I'm responsible for the safety of all these people. So I got dogged. I got criticized. You don't have faith and blah, 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 blah. And that's because you don't understand the Bible. You see, I never closed Oasis of Hope Church. I shut the doors of the doggone building. The church is the ecclesia. It's the body of believers. It's you. It's me. That's the church. And that can never close as long as we're alive. 
I never closed the church. I closed the building in which we worshiped in. And that's one of the problems with postmodern church is that we put too much emphasis on a building and not enough emphasis on the ecclesia and the body of believers. So that's the first thing God did. So, so the next thing that God, so what is God saying through the pandemic? God is very simply telling the church that there has to be a paradigm shift. We have to change. You can't do business as usual. Any church that comes out the pandemic and you're doing the same things that you were doing before the pandemic, you miss God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, you did. Now, when it comes down to our personal situation, it grew even greater. Because not only were we coming in the midst of a pandemic, but our leader of 41 years retired. Our servant leader. One of the greatest men God ever planted on this earth. I can say that. Because that's what he has meant in my life. I can't speak for you. So now the question is, what is God saying? Hmm, good question, isn't it? Whenever a church is in search of a pastor, one of the main things that God is saying is time to change. I'm going to let that marinate. That's no disrespect to the previous pastor. It's just a fact. You say, well, Claude, how do you know that? Very simply, if God did not want whatever church it is to change, then the same person that was leading that church would still be leading it. Because God is sovereign. He does what he wants, how he wants to, any time he wants. So it doesn't matter if the pastor died. It doesn't matter if the pastor was put out. It doesn't matter if the pastor resigned and quit and went to another church. It doesn't matter, like in our case, that our pastor retired. Whatever the situation is where there's going to be a transition, God is saying change. Mm -hmm. And you know we don't like that because change is like cursing. That's a dirty word. We don't want to change. We want everything to be the status quo. But that's not what life is, and that's not how God operates. God is a progressive God. In his essence, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in his methodology of work and how he moves, he is progressive. He does not stay the same. You don't believe me? Read your Bible. The Holy Spirit used to come upon people. Now he does what? He dwells within us. God is a progressive God. When I came to this church and was ordained as youth pastor, me and Reverend Horace Pitts, we were the first youth pastors in the history of Macedonia Baptist Church. When I left and Carl Livingston became youth pastor, Carl got an office. Carl got a stipend. I didn't get any of that. The reason, you know the reason? God is a progressive God. It wasn't appointed for me to receive that. I was the first youth pastor. The first thing that had to happen is the congregation and the people of God needed to see that a youth pastor was vital, needed, and necessary. Somebody ought to say amen. So God progressed our ministry. That's what he does. 
He's a progressive God. You see, it's like this. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might win them. The message that Paul gave was the same, but he did it in a variety of ways. He even told his spiritual son, Timothy, to go and get circumcised, even though Timothy and Paul knew that that circumcision meant nothing anymore because of the new covenant. But Paul also understood that this would give Timothy credibility in places where he would travel. And guess what? We know that it don't mean nothing. So since it doesn't mean anything, go on and do it. It's just like the guy that tells the woman that he's shacking with, that piece of paper doesn't mean anything. I'm not going to love you any more than I would whether we were married or not. Well, then, if that piece of paper don't mean nothing, go get it. They never say that, do they? But that's the point. That's the illustration there. So, look at our lives. Back in the day, they had a thing called 78 RPM records. Big old things, that's what we had. Then we started getting, what, the 33, the 45. I'm old enough to remember that little stick my sisters and them had on the uh, half hat. They had a half hat. They was big time, had a half hat. And you stacked the records up and they dropped down. Music, right? Then we got this thing called an eight-track Oh, we was cooking with gas then, baby. Eight-track tape. You know what came out of that eight-track tape? Music. Then we got cassette tapes. You know what came out of them cassette tapes? Music. Then we got DVD, uh, the CDs. You know what came out of the CDs? Music. Then, now, today, it come out the air. It's digital, right? And we have devices for it. Uh, unless you like me, I didn't, I didn't bought a record player. I'm back to vinyl. But we're still receiving what? Music. We're still getting music, but the way that we get it has changed. So here, in the book of Revelation, then I'm going to sit down. We first have to go to chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the words, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So the first thing we need to take note of is one right. It is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ that God gave to him. That's pretty deep. Did you hear what it said? So the Bible is true when it tells us that there are some things that are known that we don't know what does the Bible say? Not even the Son. Here's one of them. The revelation is given to Jesus by his daddy. And look what he says. 
He sent an angel to servant John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. Then it says something interesting. Anytime you read the Bible, I feel like I'm blessed, Deacon Cottrell. But this is the only book of the Bible that comes with an explicit blessing if you read it. It says it right there. So if you ever in need of a blessing, you don't have to go to the TV name and claim it guy. All you got to do is pick up, pick up the book of Revelation and read it because anybody that reads it will be blessed. It says it right there. Then, <laughs> Revelation, unveiling. So the next thing you want to take note of, if anybody, Bernard ever says, Revelations, they haven't read it. It's not revelations, it's the, re the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the, the everything. Now, when we get into this book, when a preacher says turn to the book of Revelation, we automatically get on our pins and needles because we're going to get deep today. Amen. And the reason we think we're going to get deep because there's a lot of symbolism once you get past chapter three. But for us today, I feel the most important part for the church is not what comes after, but what's in chapters two and three, the letters to the seven churches of Asia. Because when you do your study, you're going to discover that throughout the history of the church, there are different ages of the church. And these seven churches, God's number of completion represent those ages. <laughs> not only that, you will discover that Every church that's ever existed has some, if not all, of the elements of these seven churches within their own congregation. Now, what I like about these seven letters is it's so cool because what it does is it's like a report card. Amen. It starts out with a, a acknowledgement. Let's just take, for example, Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So the first thing that happens in this report card is the angel of the Lord is, uh, is identified. The angel over that church, whom we say is the pastor. The angel of the church is called out and he is to be written to. And it says, write these words. And guess who they identify? They identify a version of what Jesus is called. Amen. Here in Ephesus, it says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you want to know where that comes from, read chapter one. In chapter one, every title that's given to Jesus is identified there. Amen. It's like the whole outline John gives us early on of the entire book. He says, write the things he's told, write the things that you see, the things that are, what's going on right now, and uh, write the things that will come after. That's, that's, that's everything after, you know, chapter three. So it's a simple outline, but the name is given. After the name comes a commendation. Jesus says, you did something good right here. Amen. He says, in the case of Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those 
who called themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but let's stop right there. He gives them a commendation. He says, you don't like false prophets. You stand against them, and that's a good thing. Then Jesus tells them, but, because after the commendation, he gives them a warning, right? But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Then he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It goes on like that for seven churches, six others. There are two churches that receive no rebuke, none whatsoever. But everybody else got a rebuke, but there's a chance to do what? To repent and change. You see, God wants us to be aware of where we are in this season and in this age. Any theologian will tell you that we are in the age of the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the church that doesn't take a stand on anything. And that's certainly where we are. The church has forgotten that we are in this world, but we're not of it. The church has forgotten that we are to be peculiar, strange folk, that we are unique and that we are different. If in your walk there are people that don't run when they see you coming, maybe you better check your walk. Here's what I'm talking about. If you see Yvette coming, there may be some people that will say, oh, shoot, here she come. She going to start talking about Jesus. That's how it should be in our lives. People should be uncomfortable that are in sin around us. Not because we are condemning them, but because the spirit of God is on them. And that will bring the conviction right there, the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be a people that affect the lives of other folk. You're not in this thing just for you. This is not Sunday school picnic so we can feel good about ourselves. This is about glorifying the living God in our lives. And that we have to do what God has ordained. We have to get ready. You see, I was in distress about the voting prospects. Amen? Because I'm seasoned, I've studied. I know all of the ins and outs. I know culturally how this is supposed to go. All right? And then God reminded me of something, Reverend Hoskins. He reminded me that this is his church. This ain't our church. This is church. And I don't care what you think somebody did or what you think they messed up. Don't worry about it. 
The reason you don't worry about it, because in this hundred plus year old church that was planted by the Holy Spirit, even if we have messed up, God is going to straighten it out. Huh? You say, well, how do you know that, Claude? Oh, very easily. You know how Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how it talks about how he will direct our path. If we acknowledge him in all our ways, didn't control, he will direct our path. Huh? 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 Well, guess what? The, the real excellent translation of he will direct our path is this. He will make our paths straight. Which means that if I'm acknowledging him in all my ways, if I'm putting a trust in him with all my heart, even if I go down the wrong road, if I go down the crooked road, God will straighten out that crooked road. That's what that means. And so therefore, no matter what y'all do, next Sunday, don't matter. God got this. God has this. And I am confident that no matter what happens, at some point in time before I die, God, if he has not sent the pastor of this church, he will do it. Because you do know that's, that's what has to happen. He has to be sent to you. You can't pick them. You can't get it by resume. You can't get it by education. He has to be sent. And every pastor that I know, including our own, that has a church where God has used them to grow it numerically and spiritually, every single one of them were sent. Mm -hmm. You say, well, Claude, how do you know they were sent? Because they were all selected either unanimously or with 90% of the vote or more. Every single one of them, including our pastor. It's outside of culture. My prayer partner happens to be white. He serves at Emmanuel Bethel Church in Royal Oak. Unanimous. Claude Allen May, then known as Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church. 43 people. Unanimous. The reason? Because I was sent. So you say you can't get 10 people to agree on nothing. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit. My friend Everett Jennings over at New Providence, unanimous. I could go on and on because they were sent. And that's what we have to have one that has been sent. Now you saying, well, why are you telling us all this now? It's too late. No, it's not. Because guess what? This ain't your church. This is God's church. And a hundred plus years of ministry, he's going to do that. So that tells me to tell you, anybody you've been mad at, you need to let that go. Anybody that's no longer your friend because they said so-and-so, you better let that mess go. You like the people that's, that's mad that, that cut off friendship because somebody voted for Trump. 
Well, okay, they ain't my friend no more either, but I got growth to do. But what I'm saying is we have to have unity of faith. And we have to come together. The church is a community of believers that's family. And you have to be on one accord. The reason I was unanimous is because that church was on one accord. Same thing with my man. You see, there's a way to do this. So this week, when you go home, don't talk to nobody about nothing to do with this vote. Get on your face and call upon the name of the living God. If you save and you love the Lord, you call upon the Lord and you say, Lord, tell me who you sent. And then go cash about it. God's so good to me, I don't get to vote. You have to be here in person. You all are voting on my birthday. Lord willing, I'll be in St. Martin. So I will not be able to vote. And that's a good thing, too. Because I love both of my little brothers. Both of them. You understand? And I haven't talked to anybody about this process. But I have talked to them. I have prayed with them. I have ministered to them. I have advised them. I talk to my brothers. I ain't talk to Deke. I ain't talk to Deke. I ain't talk to Joy. I ain't talk to nobody about this process. I talk to my brothers, though, because they're good men. They love God. You know, I know we have to do things formally and everything, but the mere fact that Carl Livingston and Terry Minor had to submit resumes is ridiculous. It just is. I know we got bylaws, you have to follow them. Uh, I'm just talking about Claude May. This is my thing and what I've learned. Because let's say I was here and I felt God leading me to become the next pastor of this church. If I had to submit a resume, I wouldn't do it. Don't pick me. Because after serving for so many years, if you don't know who I am, if you don't know my integrity, what is a resume going to tell you about them people? See, we get so caught up in the technicalities till we forget the main thing. What's the number one thing God looks for in his leaders? You tell me. Heart. 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 Their hearts. Hey, look, Samuel, don't worry about Saul. Don't grieve him. I'm not using him anymore. I'm going to pick someone after my own heart. Goes to Jesse's house. He said, Jesse goes to Jesse's house. Jesse brings his son. Uh, Samuel said he hasn't chosen any of these because you know what? We look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so the least likely was the little shepherd boy, but that's the one that God chose because he had God's heart. 
even late after that, Jeremiah even tells us, told a backslidden Israel, God told him, tell them fools if they come back to me, I will send them shepherds, pastors after my heart. So the number one thing God is looking at is the heart. Education is important. Integrity, all that's important. But guess what? If that person has God's heart, all of those things are going to be lined up and be in order. Look at David. All you got to do is look at David. A man after God's own heart, what did he do? He operated in, in integrity. When he went before uh, Saul and said, I'll fight the giant, and Saul said, you couldn't, David explained to him, I'll kill the lion and the bear while I was out there as a shepherd boy. Now remember, think about it. He's a shepherd boy. He's away from everybody. His daddy has enough sheep to where if one of them dies or is missing, they wouldn't notice it. But David still protected them because he has integrity. Because he's after God's heart. So the most important thing is the heart. I'm getting ready to let y'all go. Like I told you, I'm on assignment. And I didn't want to be on assignment. Satan even tried to stop the assignment because somebody suggested that I do what I just did. And I didn't, I don't like that. You know, I got to listen to God, you know. And I sure didn't want to do this because I just want to leave you, you know, you all in ignorant bliss. Seriously, I want, I want to let you all go on. You know, keep clowning, doing what you're doing. But I love this church. And I love you. And I stand in the authority of God. You can unfold your arms. And when I leave, you speak nicely of me because I don't want God to do nothing to you. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm serious. I got some witnesses. I've been anointed and appointed by God Almighty. This ain't no game. This ain't no plaything. And so, be who we are. Be the church built on love. Act in love. Encourage one another. In love. And don't worry about the results. The only way this is going to work is that whoever gets that vote, you all have to support them. Whether it was your choice, your pick or not, the only way he will survive is if you support him even though you didn't vote for him. Amen? I'm serious. Because remember, the reason that that unanimous is so important is because a pastor cannot do his job without the support of the church. And if I only got two-thirds, I ain't got all y'all support. So therefore, we have to do something differently, don't we? What we have to do is, uh, whoever gets it, we have to do what? Put our feelings aside, put ourselves to the side, and support whoever it is, and trust that God sent them. Amen.
Well, there might be somebody here today who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I can offer you an invitation because Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died as the atoning sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. He was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose with all power in his hand. He's alive and living today. He sits at the right hand of the Father. When Satan, the accuser, points at me and says, look what Claude is doing, Jesus steps in and says, I died for that. If you've never accepted him in the free pardon of your sin, you can do so today. Won't you stand? The doors of the church are now open. You can come.